Let uh, me ask you a question first. How, yeah. Why why me? How did you find me? Um, what do I have to do with it now? Well, so like your name has definitely come up to me in the past, uh, just from like knowing about Ram Das and everything like that. Uh, but the theme is about a spiritual awakening. And so it's kind of just not only my own path in like taking my own spiritual practice more seriously, but also just, uh, just about the theme of like following one's own Dharma and one's own path and, uh, being reborn again, I take it however you want. Um, I just think you're an interesting person and that you'd be interesting to talk to about this and that you have some information that not only I would benefit from, but uh -huh. other people as well. We'll, we'll, we'll disavow you of that. <laughs> we'll figure it out, I guess, we'll, right? We'll get you over that. <laughs> so, all right. Well, whatever. Let's see what happens. Uh, so I wanted to start off by asking you about your childhood first. Uh, so were you raised in a religious or spiritual household or was that something that you kind of found later on in life? No, and there wasn't anybody in my family that was spiritual. Or not even, any, there wasn't anybody who was religious other than, <clears throat> and as far as spiritual meaning actually seeking something, there was right. nobody that I knew of in my family. There were, there were a bunch of cranky people. <laughs> but, you know, not bad people, but just... You know, my grandfather, my, my father's father was born in 1900. He was the first one born in America. And his family had gone to London 10 years before that. So they were pretty removed from Europe mm -hmm. already. So, uh, you know, they were just, all they wanted to do was assimilate and, and be uh, American. Where were they America. coming from? Mm, Russia, oh, Russia, Poland, cool. that area, Western, okay. where there was, was one thing. Gotcha. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, no, there was nothing, nothing at all. I mean, they, my parents were, you know, liberal, democratic, pe democrat people. They weren't, but they weren't involved in anything, really. They weren't doing politics or nothing. It was just all... Yeah, every day, just um, trying to get by. Were there any uh, maybe key moments in your life that kind of led you down the path that you're on? Or took you to where you are today? I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of them, but as far as spirituality is concerned, what, uh, what do you think helped you kind of develop your own spiritual practice from the early ages and what kind of drew you towards that? I don't know that there was one thing. It's just I, I, I know that I always felt there was always this feeling that I was missing something, mm. like there was a piece missing. Right. You know, I, and it's if it's missing and you don't know what it is, you can't really look for it. You just have this sense that mm. yeah, this what is this? You know, and so. <clears throat> And I just was, I was really unhappy, you know, as a teenager, really, really unhappy. And then uh, one thing was that a friend of mine came back from the Southwest with peyote buttons. <laughs> nice. And so I took a peyote trip between my junior and senior years mm -hmm. of high school. Okay. That. Get a good early start into that it. Was, that was a life-changing experience, <laughs> you know, because the... I got so happy mm -hmm. 
I got so happy. I could not believe how happy I was. That's me on psilocybin. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a great yeah. And and the other thing was, everything was different. Right. And, but I knew that this what I was experiencing and that was more real than anything I had come in contact with in all the first seventeen years of my life. Right. right. So that was. I went that was then I knew there was something else after that. Mm-hmm. I think I got even more depressed because there was no way to get back there. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and then um I think somebody gave me autobiography of a yogi and the Gospel of Ramakrishna, those two books. And those that was also a big thing for me because these were you know, we didn't have that on Long Island, you know. Right. You know? Was that wow. was that your first introduction to Hinduism right there? Yeah, sure. That and also Zen and Japanese culture. I got okay. that book too. Very cool. I still have that original book somewhere. <laughs> and um <clears throat> so yeah, so now I began to understand that there was something out there mm-hmm. that you could find, right? Right. And I remember reading a book on Buddhism when I was on the track team in high school i used to throw the discus and uh i would read these books you know when mm-hmm. i was sitting there waiting for my turn i was mm-hmm. you know kind of right like, but i remember reading the line that it said in buddhism it's th- it's believed that your enlightenment is up to you okay and i went what <laughs> you're a teenager nothing right. is up to you right mm-hmm. you have no you know, that's a pretty pro- profound stuff. Yeah. It was like, wow, you know, up to me, bring it on, you know. Right. I'm still fifty years later, sixty years later, I'm still bringing it on, but still, <laughs> that was a big moment. Right. You know? That sounds like it. And um, and then, you know, it was uh, I graduated high school '65, so it was the middle. The '60s really started to happen at that point. Bob Dylan the folk music scene and then I got into blues uh, mostly Mississippi Delta blues and stuff like that and I played guitar and all that and that was that got me through a lot of stuff but I every once in a while you hear about some Indian guy who came to America mm-hmm. there was this guy came and he was living in this shitty shithole Lower East Side okay. and somehow I heard about him that he was giving lessons mm-hmm. in yoga Okay. So I went there and we did, you know, on this bare wood floor, grimy, grungy with mm-hmm. roaches running around. And then there I'm doing hatha yoga on this floor. You know. But at least I learned something and I, then I kept on doing it. Uh, and then um, it was still a very tumultuous time for me at that point. point. And uh, Swami Satchidananda had come to America and his, his scene was growing in New York and I went for yoga lessons there and I didn't like it so I didn't go back. But one time, not far from here in Monroe, there's an ashram called Ananda Ashram. Okay. And there was a <clears throat> it was started by a, a spiritual teacher. That teacher had went away and Swami Satchidananda went there to stay there for a while. And every every once in a while he'd do like a weekend retreat, mm-hmm. 
So at this point, I was living up, up, up in upstate New Paltz, and uh, I was driving a school bus for the Kingston okay. school, you know, high school. And I, w I had gone up there to, 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 to go to school at uh, New Paltz. They were starting an Asian Studies Institute. Okay. So I went to meet this guy who was running this. Mm -hmm. And I was all full of like, you know, wow, you know. Right. Like, this guy just, he just slammed me. He just didn't, wouldn't want any part of oh. any, he was just this, he had been a secretary at Rabindranath Tagore, who was this great poet, very mm -hmm. spiritual guy. Okay. And I was expecting somebody to, you know... Someone to be open and welcoming. Yeah, and he was just this cranky old fart. It was so yeah, terrible. It the, destroyed me. That's a bummer. So I wound up quitting school after a month or so. So sometime in that... I think it was probably that fall, Swami Sajjadananda was doing a retreat. So I went down there for a day and I love to watch the hawk. You can't see it now, but there's hawks flying around through here. There's oh, one awesome. way, way out. You can't see it now. No. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll get lucky and see one when we... Uh, what's that? Maybe we'll get lucky and see one when we take some pictures later. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the other hand, you just, you know, they're, they're hunting, so... Right. It's like, they're so beautiful, but they're just... <laughs> yeah. They're killers, you know. The, lucky for us to great. see, but not for the uh, yeah, yeah. the ones being preyed upon. Yeah. I hope they don't get too hungry. I won't sit outside. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> so I went down to this thing, and there were... Swami Satchinanda gave was giving a lecture... But there was this other Swami sitting next to him, very austere looking, very thin. And he had his eyes closed the whole time like this, you know, and Swami Sitchin was talking. And I'd been to a bunch of his lectures, and I knew at the end of his lecture, he would go, Hari Om, you know, like this. So he finished talking, and I was waiting for the Hari Om, I had my eyes closed. But instead, this other guy burst out in singing. Hmm. And it was Sri Ram Jai Ram Jai Jai Ram, and I didn't know what it was. Right. Every I, it was a full-on electric explosion in my body. Hmm. Everything got lit up. Everything okay. was like <gasps> like this, you know. So it turns out I didn't know who it was, and because I didn't know anybody there to talk to, right. so I just left. This was in. Uh, 67 fall of 67 maybe no fall of 68 and two years three years later four years later I'm in the temple in India with Maharaji mm -hmm. a car pulls up a bunch of swamis come out of the car they come over the bridge and they go right into Maharaji's room. I mean, there was it was like they knew they were welcome. They knew it. And we're standing, the Westerners were standing outside the room and everything. All of a sudden I hear, Shri Ram, the same. Same, same guy, huh? And wow. it turned out it was Swami Chitananda who was the successor to Swami Shivananda, the okay. Divine Life Society, okay. Satchitananda, Vishnu Devananda, those people, who was very good Baba. And he loved Maharaji. Maharaji loved him. And he had been known Maharaji for many years. And Maharaji would always ask him to sing. So when I heard him sing the first time, he had already 
known Maharaji and already been oh. singing to Maharaji. Okay. So that connection. Right. At this point in my life, I didn't know anything about Maharaji. Right. So that, I was like, whoa, what was that? Yeah. So anyway, it was shortly after that. If that was fall 68, then in the, that winter, that's when I met Ramdas. Okay. When I met Ramdas, that was it. Everything changed. Mm -hmm. He was radiating. He was transmitting. He was just lit up. Had he already spent some time in India? Yeah, no, he had come back okay. from India. Yeah, gotcha. otherwise, he, Richard Alpert went to India. Ramdas came back. That's fair. You know, that kind Makes of thing. sense. Yeah. So, um, when I walked into the room where Ramdas was sitting, uh, long story, you don't really know that, but I got, I went up to New Hampshire to meet him, and um, <clears throat> the minute I walked into the room without a word being spoken, without eye contact. He was sitting in the, on the bed on the floor in the corner with his eyes closed like that. I walked into the room and I was, I was struck. And immediately I knew that whatever it was I was looking for was real. It was in the world and you could find it. It was a very profound experience. It was the first day of the rest of my life. I see what you're actually, saying. Okay. Really. Mm -hmm. Because this was the first time that I knew mm -hmm. that it was real. I just, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know right. what to do, where to find it. But it was, I knew it was available and it was real. And that was, that was the, that was the beginning, you know, of, so then I got, closer to Ram Dass and I hung out with him a lot over the next year and a half. Then I went to see Maharaji because oh. by then I had figured it was, I had seen it was coming through Ram Dass. It wasn't him. He still had his egoistic stuff and just like we all do. But what was coming through him was, was the old man in okay. the blanket. Did you tell me about your experience living in India with Maharaji? <laughs> or anything in particular that stands out to you? I'm sure there's... Uh, it all stands out. It, right, it's, right. It's all... Uh, it was the happiest, it was the most intense period of my life, and it was essentially the happiest, because mm -hmm. it was like finding home, being home. Mm -hmm. and everything was familiar to me in India. I was completely at ease there uh, in a way that I never felt that before. In fact, mm -hmm. when I got off the plane the first time in Mumbai, in those days, it was, you know, you had to walk on the, on the, on the, like the tarmac or whatever the tarmac, you know to get into the, the airplane the, you know, off, tiny right. little building i had you know? to do that when i went flew into new delhi a few years ago so a few years ago yeah still had to do that uh, but i was well actually i take that back i'm sorry i flew into new delhi and then i went to jaipur and when i landed jaipur, in jaipur yeah. that's that's why yeah delhi Russian. delhi and mumbai are now two yeah. of the biggest airports from the oh world. yeah it's huge but jaipur is very small it's a right lot of fun, yeah. right uh, so you were in india huh? mm -hmm. i went in a uh, summer of 2018 the summer, what a great time to go. Oh, uh, no, right. 120 I know degrees, <laughs> yep. you know, in, in, at midnight. Desert you know. State, Rajasthan, you know, oh. I know how to pick it, yeah. I'm hoping to go back this summer, and uh, I want to fly in New Delhi, uh, go down to Vindavan for a bit. Vrindavan, yeah. Vrindavan, yeah. yeah. And, um, and then from there, make my way over to uh, Varanasi, and spend yeah. at least a week there. But I, I think I have about just over two weeks to spare, so... Uh -huh. See what I can fit in with that. So, yeah, yeah. Maharaji has a temple in Vrindavan. 
Okay. I spent a lot of time there with him. Yeah, it's on the Parikrama mark. Okay. Parikrama means circumnabulate. Okay. So there's a, 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 a road that goes all around Brindavan, and it's a spiritual practice to do that whole circumnabulation of Brindavan. Would you do it three times or just the one time? I don't time? know. I never did it, but okay, somebody does it. I don't right. Know. Somebody does it. I <laughs> but his, his, the, the Hanuman Temple is uh, close to the main road that comes up from Mathura, mm-hmm. and you make a, a right coming up from Mathura, and then it's just a few hundred yards in the Hanuman. Okay. If, you have, if you're looking for it, just say, Neem Gorodi Baba Hanuman, and go over okay. there. You'll find it. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. What uh? What do you think? Some of what are some important lessons that you learned from spending time with Maharaji? Maybe a bit of a loaded question as well, because I'm sure there are plenty of them. But yeah, no, I mean, it's... I'm learning lessons every day. <laughs> a good means you're still evolving as a person. That's a good thing, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. You got if it's, if this is the end, I'm in trouble. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Saint Paul says in the and why he says, "By grace was I saved through faith." It's the grace first that gives you faith. And then the faith gives you confidence to okay. keep going. Hmm. Because if grace itself was enough, everybody would be enlightened. Right, right. So I once asked Siddhima many years after Maharaji left the body. Maharaji used to tease us. He used to say, We'd be sitting in front of me and he'd say, yeah, I have the keys to the mind. <laughs> and he would, I could turn your minds against me. You know, and, and he would laugh. He said, Baba, don't do that. Don't do that. He'd laugh. Ah. And he go, transfer, Hojaga, I'll transfer you. Baba, don't do that. It was so funny. I mean, it was just teasing, playing. Right. But he did say that. So I said to Sidney Ma, I said, Ma, you know, Maharaji said he has the keys to the mind. So to me, that means that I am where he wants me to be. I mean, he's he's the one doing it. Right. He's He has the keys to the mind. So since I'm in relation to him and connected to him, I my mind mm-hmm. and me, I'm where he's put me. Okay. So I said, so is it all his doing or is my effort required? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a famous question. You know, right. Grace or, or right. effort, you know. Mm-hmm. She said, Krishnadas, it's all grace, but you have to act like it isn't. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. In other words, done deal. Okay. There's no time, there's no space, there's nothing. There's only this moment, and this moment is eternal, and there's no coming and going, there's no one here. Mm-hmm. There's only one of us in the whole universe. We don't know that. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough to know it intellectually. It has to be in your, it has to come to your cells, to your molecules. Because when it, then it becomes real. Your experience becomes real. It has to be real. So what are, what are some things that people can do 
to kind of have that self-realization and do a better job at kind of filtering out all the external bullshit because obviously as you know in our western society we're taught from a very young age like if you want to find god look outward if you want to find happiness look outward yeah how do you kind of shift through that noise and instead turn your focus within you know when Buddha came out of the jungle after his enlightenment he said he said yo monks they're suffering that was the first thing he said mm -hmm. life is suffering there's nothing there's always suffering involved in life right. there's always dissatisfaction mm -hmm. that's the prerequisite okay. for doing spiritual work gotcha. most people don't recognize that they just they, 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 they're involved with pleasure and avoiding pain, holding on to pleasure, avoiding pain. And that's all that occurs to them to mm -hmm. do. It never occurs to them that there's anything else. Right. If it occurs to you that there's something else, that already is the result of your own karmas. Okay. Nothing happens without a cause. Right. So it doesn't make a anybody better or worse than anybody else it's just a question of the work that you yourself have already done in previous lives okay otherwise you wouldn't be interested in this shit there's right. no reason what, what payoff do you get from sitting around cross like with your eyes closed <laughs> That's a good point you know, you're not watching tv you're not getting late you're not eating a good meal you're just sitting there you know <laughs> right most people would rather do those other things that's true yeah so and somebody once asked me uh, uh sting sting sang on one of my cds and i and so people say, come on, tell me, these, these, these big stars, they're not really seriously involved with spiritual stuff, mm -hmm. are they? I said, no, you're wrong. They're the ones who experience directly that no matter how much stuff you get, it don't make you happy. The rest of us still think, or maybe if I got a little bit more of that, it would be okay. Right. But these, these have access to everything endless amounts of whatever they want whenever they want it right so they know they've experienced that it doesn't work okay what they do with that experience is some people get strung out on drugs because mm -hmm. if nothing works there's no sense you know this this right. at least numbs me trying and to fill a void semi-pleasant yeah. okay. so but that's also a karmic fruit so the other other people might actually get interested in understanding that and learning about why they're suffering mm -hmm. unfortunately that's the deal you know i mean until you're thirsty you will not drink no matter how you know you can take a horse to water unless it's thirsty you won't drink sure. you can't force water down the, down the throat and that's brutal because you see how much suffering there is in this world. Right. And it's all because because that's the nature of this world. Nothing is outside of you can ever fully satisfy you. Temporarily, it can be okay. But nothing lasts. It's very, I mean, it's easy to say it. But it's very you know, 
spiritual, I, I see it as spiritual practice is a ripening process, not a learning process. Okay. And when we do these practices, when we try to calm our minds and, you know, develop a little compassion and kindness for ourselves and others, that's, it's a ripening process. The practices ripen us and they bring our hearts and our minds into the, the sun, you know, and, and that, that ripens us. Um, if you don't plant seeds, not, nothing's going to grow. And the seeds you do plant, that's what's going to grow. If we plant seeds of anger and aggression and fear and shame and guilt, what are you going to get? Yeah. More of that. Right. If you plant seeds of trying to let go of that stuff, then you, you're starting to develop a new, uh, an, a, a different attitude. Oh, you're fine. Good. Um, I've seen so many miracles. I've seen so much. But it, what is it? I'm still a schmuck, you know? It's like this, the, the karmic wave, you know? <clears throat> it's just, you, you can't rush it, you know? You, you have to just, you have to deal with it and recognize that you have to develop a technique for getting through the day, you know. And in in the path of devotion, one technique is to try to see everything as, or accept everything as the Guru's uh, offering to you, whether okay. it's pleasant or unpleasant. And uh, that's a technique. Okay. Whether it's ultimately true or not, it's hard to know because we're not we don't know ultimate. Mm -hmm. But all we know is how do we get through the day? So once you, if you get really strong in a technique, it gives you a way of of getting through the day without you know crashing into any brick walls mm -hmm. and 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 making more suffering for yourself. Okay. But, but in order to get the, a, tech, a practice deep enough, you really have to work at it. You can't just wish. Wishing isn't enough. So do you think it's important to have some sort of devotion to uh, whether it be a spiritual practice, a higher version of oneself, God, call it whatever you want. Do you think that's important to have in order to kind of filter out the noise that we were previously talking about and, uh, and kind of find some sort of equilibrium? Yes, but what's implied in your in your statement is when you say filtering out, it's not that you're going to filter out. I hope these aren't the Russians. <laughs> Never know. If they are, God bless them. You know, here we go. Um, it's more a way of 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 not being closed down by things. Okay. 
you're not you don't have to push things away so learning how to interact with it and not let it affect you personally or let it drag you down or anything like that sure okay. yeah that's one way of saying it the, yeah for sure it's just that the reality of how that would work you have to calm your mind Everything comes from the mind. All the suffering is in the mind. The same thing can happen to two people. One can be destroyed by it, their whole lives destroyed, and another person can overcome, like Ram Dass with the stroke. Right. He said to me many times, he said, the stroke has saved my life. Oh, wow. Because he had stuff. He had a lot of anger, and he had a powerful, well-developed ego, mm -hmm. or it's, it's for use, for lack of another word, ego. Mm -hmm. And underneath everything else, he was really unhappy because he could not deal with, he, he had no way of dealing with some of the things inside of him that, that he couldn't really release. Mm -hmm. The stroke. gave him the opportunity to rise to the to the occasion at first he said he used to say that maharaji gave him this maharaji stroked him ah oh, i see i see yeah mm -hmm. because intellectually he was saying everything that happens to me is by my right but it's so when he went to india the only time after he was in the wheelchair siddhima looked at him and said randas Maharaji would never give you a stroke. The stroke is your karma. What mm. Maharaji gives you is the, the strength and the grace to overcome the effects of the stroke and, and uh, use it as your spiritual practice, use it, you know, and not be destroyed by it. Mm. And that's exactly what happened. By the, by the end, Ramdas was just... I used to tease him. I say, you, you finally become who we thought you were 40 years ago. And he would <laughs> laugh, you know? Funny. Yeah, mm -hmm. he'd laugh, so. Yeah, he, he, I mean, he had to surrender. There was no option. You sur it's, if you don't surrender, you suffer. But he recognized that he had to surrender to the reality of it, what it is, and accept it. He had to become humble and accept help from people. Mm -hmm. This was an... Uh, uh, a guy driving sports cars, playing golf, flying planes, mm -hmm. Harvard professor. This is right. a guy who was like very right. big in the world. Mm -hmm. And now he's, he can't get out of a chair. He can't talk hardly. Mm -hmm. So he had this, he, the, and surrender is not, okay, I give up. No, it's not giving up. Surrender means agreeing to fight. I see. It's like in the Bhagavad Gita, when mm -hmm. at the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, you know, Krishna is teaching Arjuna, Arjuna says to Krishna, says, you know, I, I can't, these are all my relatives, I can't kill them, I'm not going to fight. Krishna smiles and says, hmm, he says, well, it sounds like you're talking uh, truth, you know, mm -hmm. he said, but are you really? And then he proceeds to show Arjuna like an onion peeling off layer after layer after layer until Arjuna, he gives Arjuna divine vision and Arjuna sees the way things really are. Mm -hmm. So, 
and Arjun finally agrees, uh, okay, he, he gets ready to fight because that was the, the dharma. That's what he had to do. Mm-hmm. And Ramdas, that's what he had to do. He had to do his practices and work with that. Otherwise, he'd be destroyed by it. Mm-hmm. But he really embraced it. I, n- I never heard him complain. Maybe he com- maybe he complained sometimes to the people who you know were intimately taking care of him, and, right? Because he couldn't do anything for himself anymore. He couldn't wipe his own ass anymore. He couldn't get out of bed. He couldn't turn in bed. It was rough. And then on the other hand, he was getting urinary tract infections, one after mm-hmm. the other after the other, almost wow. dying twice a year or more. Wow. I mean, rushed to the hospital mm-hmm. or noon, getting you know. IVs with this special antibiotic or this, and it was a constant. It was constant uncertainty about whether mm-hmm. are you dying today or tomorrow, mm-hmm. and he lived with that in a way that was extraordinary. Rather than fear, it was acceptance, you know, and and that's not easy. That takes no, incredible not. strength. Mm-hmm. Surrender takes ultimate strength. And even so, it only happens ultimately by grace. Like Ramana Maharshi says, if you ask the mind to kill the mind or the ego to kill the ego, it's like asking the thief to be the policeman. <laughs> so there'll be a lot of investigation, right? but no arrest will ever be made. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. You do... He, he worked with the... I mean... He overcame anger because he had a lot of anger. Oh my! Even back in the old days with Maharaji, mm-hmm. he he would get angry. He once threw food at somebody, one of the Westerners, right in front of Maharaji. Maharaji says, "Ramdas, something wrong?" Ramdas said, "I hate a dharma, non-dharma, in myself and others. And I feel so impure." Maharaji looks up and down and says, "I don't see any impurity." He says, Ramdas, love everyone and tell the truth. Ramdas said, The truth is, I don't love everyone. Ramdas, love everyone and tell the truth. So he had no option. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe some people won't understand why there was no option. It wasn't that. He was being forced to do that. That's why there was, that's not why there right. was no option. It was because that's what he wanted mm-hmm. more than anything to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. But he was being prevented from doing it by him by himself. So how does that happen? Mm-hmm. It's like when I started singing with people after six months, I actually quit. Hmm. That's it. It's over. I, I'm not doing this anymore mm-hmm. because I could see what was going to happen, and I could also see that I was a hungry guy and I was going to use all this energy to feed my hungry desires. Gotcha. And that wasn't going to be good for me and it wasn't going to be good for anybody else. And that was not why I started chanting. I started chanting because I had let go of his hand after he died. Mm-hmm. I got totally fucked up for a long time. He had never let go of my hand in fact, he used to say, once I take a hold of your hand, I never let go, even when you let go of mine, not if, because hmm. he knew. Interesting. 
So I suffered a lot for 20 years. In uh, some previous interviews of yours, I think you mentioned that you were very attached to his physical body, yeah. physical presence rather than the spiritual aspect. I was the the so-called spiritual aspect. I'm, I felt after I met Ramdas, I felt Maharaji everywhere mm -hmm. all the right. time. He was like the sky. And then I met him. And then I fell so in love with his mm -hmm. physical being. Right. I just, in some ways, I lost that other connection. Mm -hmm. And so when the body disappeared, what was I going to do? You yeah. know? Drugs, sex, rock and roll, <laughs> running around, crazy. Mm -hmm. You know, and anything I could do to, to numb the pain. Mm -hmm. But then uh, after 20 years, uh, Anyway, so, so I started singing with people because I had this epiphany in my apartment in 1994, 21 years after he left the body. If I did not sing with people, I would never be able, never be able to open, uh, to clean out the dark shadows mm -hmm. in my own heart with the understanding that that was the only thing that was causing me suffering. Mm -hmm. It was up to me. It was inside of me. Either I do it or I don't. It took me a little while to get with the program. Right. But... So, so yeah, so I, and, and the problem was, so, so I did start and then six months later I, I quit because I saw I wasn't able to do it the right way. Did you feel like it was becoming more of like a self-serving thing rather than doing no, it no, for the right No, it was reasons? definitely self okay. It was definitely, I don't even know what that means. And all I knew was that I was hungry. And I was going to eat, gobble everything up that came to me. I suppose what I should say is like, I, I mean, uh, ego serving rather than doing it for the right reasons. You're doing it because of a egotistical purpose or something, mm -hmm. something along those lines, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. I, I don't use that word ego that much because okay. there really is no ego. It's just thoughts. There's no one it. thing. Show me where your ego is, you know. That's a good yeah. point. It's a great point, actually. Yeah. yeah. But we think... We are who we think we are. Mm -hmm. And at that point in my life, I was hungry for many things. Mm -hmm. And it was being offered to me. I could see what was happening. And I was horrified because that's not what I really wanted. What I really wanted was to connect with Maharaji again in a mm -hmm. deeper way. But I saw that I wasn't able to do that. So I was... I was in terrible despair because I was being prevented from doing mm -hmm. the only thing that I could do to save my right. ass. I was being prevented by me. Mm -hmm. So I started saying, I, I, started, I said, you got to fix this. You, this is your problem. I'm singing to people in your name. <laughs> you don't fix it, I don't sing. Good night. Mm -hmm. Wake <laughs> up in the morning, nothing happened. Mm -hmm. Day after day, I went to India and I, every day, uh, it was like hell because nothing changed. Hmm. And the despair was almost unbearable because hmm. what could I, I couldn't do anything about it. Right. Right? I, I was the problem. Mm -hmm. Had to figure out how to get out of your own way, so to speak. Uh, but I, which is the who, most difficult thing to do, honestly. But how, how do you do that? You are your own way. No you're, you're in exactly, your own way. Yeah. You're the problem. There's no way you could <laughs> yep. go where you won't be exactly. the problem. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. So I, was, uh, so I was in India and I was living with the Tuaris and um, 
Then I went to stay in the temple uh, at Kenshi in the mountains. And um, Siddhima said to me, what's your program? What's your plans? I said, well, you know, I probably have to be back to America by the end of May. It's like the middle of May. I wasn't in the temple yet. She said, no, you have to stay until June 15th. There's a big celebration of the opening of the Hanuman temple, that Maharaj, the first Hanuman temple there. You have to stay, you have to see Maharaj's big form, she hmm. said. I said, what is she talking about? Right. I made some calls back to the States. Nobody's looking for me. So next day I said, yeah, I can stay. So every day I wake up and I'd say, nothing's changed. Don't you understand? You have to fix this. Nothing, nothing happened. So the night before, the night of the 14th, I went out to the back of the temple. In the old days, there was one light bulb in the courtyard in the front of the temple. Okay. Now there's lights everywhere. Tons of lights. Tell, yeah. you know. Music, if you're lucky. Tons of lights and a whole nine yards. <laughs> yeah. And so I found this one little corner where there was a sh shadows and you could see the sky. And I was just looking up at the stars and I'm talking to Maharaji and I say, I don't get it. What's the deal? You could do this. Why aren't you doing this? I told you, you know, you have to do this. And you know, I'm leaving in a couple of days, you know, and you haven't done anything. Right. So then I just said, well, I, I don't understand, you know. I can't make you do it if you don't want to do it. All right, I'll go back. I'll sing. How bad could it be? Good night. And the next day, everything changed. And in retrospect, that moment was the moment of surrender. Uh, there was no option, mm -hmm. right? I, right. I, I, he wasn't going to do it. Was I really not going to sing when I knew that was the only thing I could do mm -hmm. to save my ass? All right, I'll go back. I'll sing. How bad could it be? Good night. <laughs> I don't like it, but well, do it. You know, that's that was New York surrender. Right, to be pushed <laughs> to your limit to a certain extent. I couldn't. He, I, it was really mm -hmm. the, the end. I mean, it was terrible. The feeling, the despair. So the next day, everything changed. You know, it, that day was really. I mean, there were a few of these moments, and maybe I hope there'll be more. But up to now, that day was the day that changed my life. You know, that was. And I was able to come back and sing, okay. and really sing, gotcha. not hold back at all. Mm -hmm. It was very different. I had uh, done some reading in the past that uh, there's a number of people that believe that Maharaji is a earthly incarnation of Hanuman, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Uh, do you think that maybe he's a earthly incarnation of the divine, 
What do you, what do you think? Why only earthly? I don't know what you think. It could be the whole universe. Could be the whole. That's a, that's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, we use these words like we know what they mean. Right. Like, oh yeah, he's oh, a, he's a form of Hanuman. Yeah. What? Who's Hanuman? What yeah. is that? So, the answer is yes, of course. Mm-hmm. I know. There's no. Whatever that means, yes. Okay, I gotcha. So you know. Maharaj used to say, Hanuman and Christ are the same. And he would say, who's Hanuman? And we would say, oh, he's the perfect servant. You know, whatever. And he would say, Ram Kisvas, the breath of God. Hmm. In the Greek Gospels, the Greek translation of the Gospels, which was the first thing written after the Aramaic, from the Aramaic, the word for Holy Spirit is Breath, hmm. not spirit. I did not know that. Spirit is up there, out of the body. It's right. forward. Breath hmm. is in the body. It's here, right here. And Maharaj, that's what he said, Hanuman is the breath of God. So, Father, the Son, and the Holy Breath. <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, so... Uh, so, yeah, whatever that means, it's impossible for us to un- to really know what, what that means other than to make a lot of assumptions, mm-hmm. which we good to do. You know, that we, Mahara, you know when, we, when the Westerners first went there, you know, we, were, we wanted to get into this. How do we... So we looked to the Indians to see what they did. And most of the Indians worshipped Maharaji as Hanuman. Okay. And Shiva also. Mm-hmm. Right, because there's certain texts that reference Hanuman as a, what the, I think the 11th avatar of Shiva, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Don't quote me on that because I might yeah. be wrong, but no, I think no, it's yeah. something yeah. along those lines. It's not actually an avatar, but it's a, a emanation okay. in a sense, yeah. The 11th, uh, the, yeah. So um, I know in a lot of different texts, like either mm-hmm. Rama or Krishna, and Shiva, they kind of help each other out in different. They're all parts of the yeah, same thing. Exactly, they're not separate. It all goes beings. back to the same thing. Yeah, just a, I like to think of it as it's God on a different day, God on Monday, God on Tuesday. You know, it's maybe not the most intelligent way to put it, but yeah, yeah. you get what I'm driving at. Yeah, but it's just like you and me, you and I. You think you're you, I think I'm me, but our actually true nature is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. We have different functions. Right. That's what it's a sense of functions. With okay. An activity. That that's different, mm-hmm. and so and that activity takes a form. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Hanuman is like this flow of grace that's always that just you enter into that flow and it takes you into your true nature, into Rama, which is the same as Krishna, which is the same as. All they're all there's only one of it, right? But it looks different at different levels. So it's just different paths, but it all leads back to the same. Right, yeah, one thing. absolutely, yeah. Do you think the same could be said about uh, other other world uh, other world re- worldly religions? If I could speak, yeah. like uh, Christianity, Judaism, whether it be Allah, Jesus, because I, I kind of have that thought that it all leads back to the same place. And there's only. There's only one place. It right. can't, can't be two places. Mm-hmm. I just like to think that God takes whatever form that maybe you might most identify with or I might most identify with and 
that could be very abstracted or that could be Jesus on the cross. It could be whatever. Sure. So, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Ultimately, it comes down to, uh, to uh, transcending the illusion of separateness. Okay. That we're separate beings. The veil of Maya kind of. Yeah. Ultimately, it comes down to seeing through that and there are many different techniques and paths to do that and many different beings who have achieved that who have taught different methods mm -hmm. so <clears throat> but uh, as typical human beings you know uh, we only use that to separate ourselves and blow sure. each other up because <laughs> of that yeah that's you know so do you think uh your way of achieving that would be with your uh, kirtan and chanting practice? My way, of, that's one of the ways that I enter into that presence mm -hmm. again, yeah. Okay. And uh, it's, yeah, you could say it's my main practice, but it's just the, the practice itself is, is part of it, really the. The, my spiritual practice is Guru Kripa, Guru's grace. That's what it is. Okay. Entering into Maharaj's presence. These are the techniques mm -hmm. that are available for me to enter into that presence. Mm -hmm. And uh, but and that presence is, you could call that anything. You know, you might call it something. Somebody else will call it something else. Fine. You still have to get into it, which means right. letting go of your stuff temporarily at least and entering into a quieter place okay. a deeper place mm -hmm. sure and the chanting is very the Maharaji himself said the repetition of the name through repeating the through ongoing through continually repeating these names everything is accomplished mm -hmm. How, what else does he have to say good point now I heard that 50 years ago mm -hmm. Have I spent every moment of every day repeating the name because I... No. I've done endless amounts of bullshit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Right. Because that's what I'm qualified for. It's also, I think, just part of human existence. Some too, other probably, person might yeah. have heard that phrase and gone off into the jungle. Mm -hmm. And Be that's like Shiva it. in a cave just trying and to kill off the negative you know, thoughts. Yeah. And just the guy right. gets... But not me. I came back. And I got into all kinds of trouble. But it's funny, I got into all my trouble after meeting Maharaji. Hmm. <laughs> Before, I was too afraid to get into trouble. Now, I came back, and it was as if, it was, you know, it was as if we were on a train, the train of our life, and it stopped in a station. And we looked out the window, and we see Maharaji. Hmm. We go running off the train to be with him, you know? And mm -hmm. it's like, and we... Right. There we are, there we are. And then, like he said, we got transferred and we find ourselves back on the train of our life. Mm -hmm. Same train. The only difference is that we now know him. You we need know, to carry a part of that with you. As you now we know mm -hmm. that we have that. Right. And that makes everything different. Hmm. It makes, without that, oh, it would be... Because he, uh, you, uh, you didn't exactly come back by choice, did you? He, he kind of sent you back, didn't he? He sent me back for sure. Yeah. yeah, but he kept me there. Mm -hmm. 
He kept me there for two and a half years. Right. And he's the one who got my visa extended. Okay, I see. I was ready to... Ramdas and almost all the other Westerners, we were all in Allahabad at Dada's house, one of his great devotees. And they all went to Delhi because they heard there was this visa official that they could bribe to get their visa. So they left. They didn't even say goodbye to Maharaji. They figured they'd be back in a few days. Right. So they left. And then I, one night, I brought my, all my, my, my bag with me to Dada's house. And that night I was going to get this late train to Gaia, where I had applied for my first mm-hmm. uh, visa extension. So I had to go back there legally. That's where right. I was going to get it. Otherwise, I w- might have gone to Delhi with everybody. So I brought my bags and I said, Dada, you know, tonight I'm leaving to go get my visa extended, but I'm not going to go without Darshan, without seeing Maharaji. So I get called into the room later and, and I said, I'm going to get my visa. He said, so go. I said, well, they'll probably send me back to America. So go. You know, and I mm-hmm. said, that's okay. You're everywhere. I know you're everywhere. Hep, get out of here. You know. So I go back to the waiting on the porch in the evening and waiting to go to the train station. And Dada comes and says, Maharaji says, don't, don't go. Tomorrow he'll send you to his devotee, who's the chief of police in Kanpur, and he'll stamp your visa. Yeah. <laughs> so that I had a whole, other, a whole year. Wow. So at the end of that year, Maharaji, that's when he said, you go back to America, you have mm-hmm. attachment there. Mm-hmm. I am, what, attachment? I left everything. Right. I sold my guitar, I gave my jeans away. I, had, I, I was never going back to America. I said, I said, Baba, but I'm just learning Hindi. Too bad, you have to go. <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. I had nothing. I had a bag with some clothes and a drum and my ektara, my, my uh-huh. instrument. Mm-hmm. That's what I had my whole life. And I was happy. I mm-hmm. was with him. That's all I... Now I know what he was talking about. Every single thing that happened to me since March 3rd, 1973, when I landed in New, mm-hmm. New York, every single thing is what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. This was my karmas, this like backlog of this, this wave that was just waiting. When I was with him, that wave was on hold, in a sense. Right. And he did that so he could fill me up with stuff and, you know, heal help me. Help you open and, it, maybe? What? Uh, maybe, like, help you open it. So yeah, sure. Help me open my heart and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, whatever he did had to do, he did. And then he sent me back and... Mm-hmm. <laughs> This huge wave crashed over me, mm-hmm. and it's still crashing. It's still mm-hmm. receding. You know, crashing right. on the, You know how it, we're gonna. Here it is, fifty years later, and I'm still. I got a kid. I got grandkid. I got you know all kinds of shit mm-hmm. going on. I got a house. Whatever. This house. This is his mm-hmm. problem. This house. I, I I had no house. I was living in a friend's, renting a place just down the street, and I come to the temple once in Sydney Ma. This is long after Maharaj's gone. She says, um, there are these Indian people, they want to help, these devotees, they want to help you get a house of your own. Oh, cool. They want to give you money. And I said, so what? So you're telling me to take this money? I said, mm-hmm. I can't do that. Right. All these people, like my assistant, the people who keep put it together, keep me on the road, 
their whole lives they're being held by my my chronically inflamed vocal cords you want me to take on more responsibility <laughs> i can't do that i and she looked at me and she said maharaj always said teak hojaiga everything will be okay <laughs> now every time i came back to india for the next two years the first thing she got a house yet that's <laughs> fine so finally i i used to this i saw this house was up for sale i was living right across the street okay where you turned into this neighborhood mm -hmm. just across that street there's a big gray house a three-story gray house mm -hmm. behind it there's a little brown cabin okay that's where i was living for 17 years very cool and i would still be there huh. now my daughter lives there nice. with my grandson and her husband that's awesome so this is you know i What are you going to do? You can't, you can't, you can't, you can run, but you just can't hide. You can't, you know, there's no way to get away from yourself. Mm -hmm. Life has a very strange way of taking different twists and turns, but you always end up following a certain path, one's yeah. own dharma, whatever you want to call oh, it. Yeah. So. Very true. I have a bit more of a loaded question for you. It's much more loaded than all the other questions. Can you hand me that water bottle, the, yes. the plastic one? This one? Yeah. Thank you. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll, I'll load up. For the <laughs> so the uh, the question is, and of course this is because it's a super subjective question. But in your opinion, what do you think the meaning of this existence is for us, and what do you think happens when we leave the body? Like I said, very very <laughs> loaded question. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, uh, the meaning the meaning of, of existence i don't know about meaning existence but we're here we exist we only think we're separate from mm -hmm. each other and from the, un right. the universe so the reason whether it's a reason or not what what we're here to do is to relieve ourselves of that delusion okay and that includes whatever, all the different mm -hmm. deities, all the different saints, all the different gods and goddesses. Those are all techniques and uh, those are all paths to relieve ourselves of the illusion that we are separate beings. We just keep doing it until we And we keep get getting, right. we, we, mm -hmm. as long as we have a karmic uh, debts to pay, mm -hmm. we, we keep taking uh, bodies again and again not necessarily all physical bodies mm -hmm. you know that's what they i'm reading a book right now it's blowing my mind but it's i mean of course it's stuff i knew but it, it's called peaceful death joyous rebirth hmm. who's it from lama it's a beautiful tulku not tulku tandap is his okay. name a tibetan lama who's really a very beautiful being extraordinary and it's really he's he's describing there, there are these beings called delags who die mm -hmm. and go th visit all these worlds, mm -hmm. the hell realms, the heaven realms, everything, and then they come back and tell people. Huh. They didn't, they, it wasn't their time to die, but for some reason or other, they actually did, and then they're sent back. Some of the higher ones, like the real, they may kind of do it on purpose in order to give teachings. But the people like you and me might just die, and we 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 go we see all these things, and then 
we get sent back because it was so hopefully get closer and then just hopefully pick up maybe not necessarily where we left off but no you know you get you come right back to where you are exactly okay. in the body I mean you know you you would die and they're preparing your funeral but right. you wake up before the funeral right. say, hey what's going on you're back <laughs> you know, that kind of thing mm-hmm. and then you say your experiences that you know there's a lot of stuff about that mm-hmm. near death experiences right. in America in the West but nothing the detail of these uh, the Tibetans Limited. are extraordinary. You know, going right. through what they call the Bardo states, mm-hmm. the in-between states, and mm-hmm. what's going to happen, when, and how to deal with it. But if you don't do practice in life when you're alive, you won't have any ability to mm-hmm. navigate the after-death states with any intentionality. Mm-hmm. In other words you will be swamped and just blown around until you, you, you know, take another body. Just keep repeating the same negative cycle over and over until you kind of have to break that in a way and hopefully uh, get back on track or on the right path or whatever. Well, it's kind of subjective, but... Yeah, I mean, every, every, every good thing you do while you're alive is a good karma. Mm-hmm. And that creates... a good quote-unquote experience mm-hmm. and uh, it's the same for the negative things that we do the times that we've hurt people and hurt ourselves and and killed other beings and all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. that creates a lot of neg- negative they say I mean I don't know you're mm-hmm. you know, I'm just because I haven't died yet this time <laughs> so I don't know but I'm just telling you what I'm repeating what I've heard so yeah, what's they say the only thing you take with you when you die is your state of mind. Hmm. Everything, even the body goes. The only thing is your. St- if you haven't done practice, if you if you're not connected to some spiritual tradition or lineage, mm-hmm. whatever it is, really connected. Uh, you're not going to be in a good state of mind when you pass, and that's exactly that's there'll a be a thing. lot of fear, a lot of oh, anxiety. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny. I just there was a thing in the Times the other day about this. Uh, Christian um, pastor or priest, not a priest, who started this, what became a big, one of these new new age kind of church, not new age, but new churches kind of thing. He got a, a, a diagnosis of stage four cancer. Hmm. And he, instead of freaking out, he, he realized that he wasn't ready to die. He was not, he he saw that he needed to do to get closer to God. He said, mm-hmm. and, and, and because he wasn't, and he one of the things he said he says it's not enough to love God. This is a Christian guy talking. It's not enough to love God, but you have to feel loved mm-hmm. by God. Mm-hmm. And most people don't feel loved. They they oh I love Jesus. I love Ram. I love this, but they don't feel loved. Do you think that's because they're looking outward for that rather than looking inward? Of course, yeah. Especially Christians. They, oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's they most have of no... my family right there. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, they believe the devil lives inside. So they're yeah. not going to look, they're not no. going to quiet their minds yeah. because the devil will get you. Yeah, it's evil. It's yeah. bad, you know. It and of course, for eternity. And yeah. that's, what, that's what we call self-loathing. Yeah. Nothing else but self-loathing. Hate your true nature. Try to look for things that appease it on the outside. Yeah. Yeah, not a good cycle. 
No, it's it's just that it doesn't work. Right. I mean, you know, if it worked, mm-hmm. great. But it doesn't work, and the problem is people don't recognize it doesn't work because mm-hmm. they also don't have the. the karmic seeds to actually have that understanding. Right. It's not that they're bad people, it's just mm-hmm. that they they haven't done the work right. in one birth or another to actually recognize suffering as something that's temporary mm-hmm. instead of trying to just keep pushing it away, you know. Rather than fight against it, just accept it and try to overcome it. Yeah, or it. ignore it and try right. to cover it up with, numb yourself so that... Right. Yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have uh, one more question for you. Yeah. Um, so if you could go back and give yourself any sort of advice, again, kind of a loaded question, what would that, <laughs> yeah, what would that be? And then do you have any other advice for anyone who's maybe listening to this or uh, maybe stuck in a rut, stuck in a shitty day job they hate, trying to better themselves? What, uh, what advice do you have for people? Uh, as far as what advice I would have given myself when I was younger, it's probably the same thing I would tell myself today. <laughs> Chill the fuck out. <laughs> Slow it's down. Relax. You know, take it easy. Don't be so hard on yourself. Just give yourself a fucking break. Um, and as far as other people, I really, you've got to find a way to calm your mind. And to learn how to release thoughts mm-hmm. and emotions that, that are causing such inner turmoil, the negative emotions. And you just have to, you have to plant some seeds. Every time you sit down, quiet your mind, that's a seed that's planted mm-hmm. also. It's a karma. Mm-hmm. So regardless of how it feels in that moment, you're still just planted a seed that will grow later too. So... But basically, you know, I, you know, it all comes down to becoming a good human being. Right. Whatever that means to <laughs> each individual. Right. I mean, it means something else, different mm-hmm. for everybody. But that, that thing, I, that article in the Times was really interesting about that guy. He really, he was the pastor of a huge congregation. Mm-hmm. But he had the goodness of heart and the humility to recognize that he had to go deeper. It wasn't enough because he was now facing death and he recognized that he wasn't connected enough. You know, mm-hmm. that thing that he said, but it's not enough to love God. You have to feel God's love. You have to feel loved. And we don't, we don't. Our families didn't give that to us. Mm-hmm. We don't. That's why it's so different in the East, especially in India. I know, you know, the family life is very different mm-hmm. for the most, but now everything's fucked up. But, yeah. you know, MTV destroyed India. You know. MTV destroyed a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and Western Hollywood movies and stuff Music like that. Music as well in certain, certain yeah. aspects. Yeah. yeah. But, but, uh, got to find out how to become a good human being, how to think about other people. Maharaji never taught us and told us to do practices to save our own asses. He said, don't think about yourself. 
When I was going to kill myself in the temple, I was having a whole on ner- full-on nervous breakdown of hallucinations and everything. He said, what are you going to do, jump in the river? Ha, ah. he laughed. You can't die. He said, worldly people don't die. He said, only Jesus died the real death. What? <laughs> I'm in a Hanuman temple in the Himalayas, and that's what he's, he's telling me? Jesus, what yeah. the fuck? He said, why? <laughs> because he never thought of himself. Thoughts of me didn't arise in that being. There was no me anymore. It's there just was an no, extension of him. Was just, we're all the same kind of, yeah. It was just God. There was just hmm. reality. It was amazing, yeah. Yeah. So there's no, there was no agenda. There was no egoistic, self-separate sense of self. There was mm-hmm. no, just, and then he said, people, someone dies and people cry and moan and they stop eating. But after a couple of days, they're laughing and joking and eating again. One attachment replaces another attachment. Mm-hmm. This world, samsara, is the flow of attachment. Mm-hmm. No attachment, no world, he said. Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. I'm still working on that one. <laughs> that's, that was that's 50 years right ago. There, yeah. That was 50 years, it'll be 50 years ago, June 5th, no, 50 years ago, what day was that? When was that? That was in um, maybe that was April, May, May. I was just recovering from hepatitis. Okay. One of the gifts India gave me. Oh yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and uh, I yeah, yeah. That's when I had my whole thing. So yeah, today it's April. I would imagine it's close to exactly 50 years. Wow. Wow. To the day, I mean, who knows? Close. I might even have a date somewhere in a diary somewhere. Okay. I have to find out when that was. But June 15th was the day that everything changed. Mm -hmm. 1995. Now, this really, well, you don't need to know all this stuff, but on June 14th, 1972, mm-hmm. I was living in the temple and I, I didn't feel good, so I stayed in my room. And I came out June 13th, and then the next day I came out of my room and Maharaji saw me coming and said, he's sick, take him to the hospital in Nanital. So I was in the hospital the 14th, 15th, and 16th. Mm-hmm. So I missed June 15th. The, the Bandara, the celebration, which was the only day that Maharaji wore a red blanket. Hmm. He wore this red plaid blanket. So if you ever see a picture of him with the red plaid blanket, I have one somewhere. That's June 15th. Really? So okay. I vowed to myself when I came back to the temple and realized that I had missed him seeing him in a red blanket that mm-hmm. day because Hanuman's color is red. Okay, gotcha. And it was the celebration of the opening of the Hanuman Temple. Mm-hmm. I vowed never to, to be in the temple on June 15th. Hmm. So between 1972 and 1995, there were three or four, maybe two or three times that I happened to be in the temple in India, and I would leave before the 15th and come back on the 16th. Sidney Mel looked at me like I was out of my fucking mind. <laughs> You're leaving? I said, yes. And that, so it was very, so when she told me that I had to stay until June 15th in the temple. Now I see. 
that was the first time I'd been there in, 15, in uh, 23 years mm -hmm. or something like that. Let's see, 72, 95, 23 years. Wow. I had left already two or three times in that right. period of time. Mm -hmm. She made me stay that day. Mm -hmm. that, and, she, and that was the day that everything changed for me. Wow. It's crazy how that works. Too. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it and, and what's even crazier is the kindness. What do they get? What, 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 do they, what do they get for being kind? Nothing. But that's all they do. It's, it's inconceivable. It's unbelievable. It's, you can't wrap your mind around mm -hmm. how these beings are, who they are and what they are and what they do. It must have been incredibly profound to experience that level of kindness and it almost seems, uh, maybe it's not the right word, but it almost seems kind of otherworldly, especially if you compare it to the way we Westerners tend to treat each other in something as simple as going to a Starbucks to get coffee or something along those lines. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't try to put, get a parking space at a Starbucks first thing in the morning. Oh, yeah, it's a great People way to get People kill you to get yep. your space, you know, it's to get that to get caffeine. Stabbed. Yeah. 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 No, no, it's... They don't want anything, you know, that's mm -hmm. the other feeling. To be with somebody who doesn't want anything, you can't, it's that's not imaginable. Wild, yeah. You can't imagine. Somebody always like, wants something from somebody, you. Yeah. yeah, even if it's recognition. Exactly, yeah. You know, just somebody simple. always wants something, yeah. Yeah, no, these beings don't want anything. And it's, it's incredible. Like, you can't buy them, mm -hmm. you know, but you're already getting this love and this caring and this, yeah, it's extraordinary.